Welcome to Jake Thoughts with Jake 2.0 Storytime Edition. I just wanted to say I'm by myself again because Jeff decided to be selfish and fly his family to Disneyland, which, I mean, come on, Jeff. We have so many more important things to discuss, and I'm lonely, so um, I'm mad at Jeff right now. Actually, I'm kidding. I can't even joke about that. I'm so That's like Jeff's absolute favorite place in the entire world. And if you follow him on, uh, follow him on social media, uh, you can you just see the uh, how much fun his family is having. Um, I'm so happy that they're there, um, and uh, that's it. I'm jealous because that's such a cool place. I haven't I haven't personally been to uh, um, Disneyland in forever. I've wanted to go, um, but it just never has worked out really. Um, plus, I have. Like for me, my happy place I think would be Gettysburg, and one day I will get there. So at some point, you will, you, I mean, I'm sure we'll still be recording this because what the hell else are we going to do with our time? Um, but uh, hopefully one day I will, you will all see me as happy as Jeff and his family are right now at Disneyland, but me at uh, the Gettysburg um, Memorial site with uh where i'm going to be running around pretending i am the union soldiers at little round top and charging down the hill towards devil's den recreating uh um uh the charge of the second main so yeah that's my nerd out corner for the sec for this (laughs) for this time anyway i'm just rambling um because honestly it's hard to record by yourself but um, I'm in. But I enjoy it. Eventually, I'll. Eventually, you'll hear me like get my get my feet under get my feet under me, and we'll start going. Um, but yeah, um, thank you guys all for tuning in and listening again. Um, Jeff will be back next week, so uh, you guys are with me by yourself by myself, and hopefully, you guys enjoy it. I thought this for this Jake thoughts with Jake. Um, I mean, I'll have some patented thoughts on some recent topics or things that I've noticed around me uh, as I'm sitting here recording in the upstairs um, side room that has become my room. I built this like desk I bought from Walmart. It looked really cool in the box and it turned out to be much smaller than it actually is and it's not really good for anything. I wasted a bunch of money and time building, buying and building this thing just to never actually work from it when I'm working from home. I just I always end up on the couch because it's much more comfortable to work from the couch when I'm working from home for my job because I get to work remotely two days a week, which is a massive perk from having to keep from so I don't have to drive into the office, which is in downtown Portland every day. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking and there's like two of the Washington State birds just in the trees kind of like eye level to me and I've it's been distracting me and it took me a while to even get uh to even push record because I'm having so much fun watching this pair of uh, goldfinches which is the Washington state bird if you guys didn't know that um hey I hope if anything from say what you mean I hope you at least learn some random fact from this particular episode which is the Washington State bird is the goldfinch. There, it's a pretty little bird. It's pretty small, but um, as its name suggests, it's uh, has a gold has like a golden body and like head with like a black back and a black streak that runs up the top of its head. Really pretty bird. 
Um, anyway, enough about bird talk. I thought with this particular episode of Jake Thoughts, though, um, I'll start off by giving some of my top seven. I I have seven stories here because I get myself in a couple of these I've told on past, like way past episodes. Um, so if you're new, haven't been, if you haven't been listening to us from the start, um, you'll hear them again. If you have heard them before, uh, hopefully you enjoy my retelling of them. But, uh, yeah, I get myself into a lot of shenanigans, like an insane amount of shenanigans because anxiety and people pleasing, um, which stems from anxiety, uh, doesn't, it, it constantly gets me into situations like I have no, like I would have never thought of getting myself into. And I just always end up, um, in some strange, strange occurrences, strange things. And, um, so yeah, I think I'm going to just, uh, retell some of my crazier stories of just how I've ended up in just random, just in random shit. So, uh, so stick with me. Hopefully you guys enjoy that. And at the end, I'll give some, uh, I'll give some thoughts like my revisitation of the Walmart, uh, spice, uh, spice discount spice bin. Uh, I had another run in with some candles. I bought, I bought some candles, which was really fun. Uh, mixing and matching. It was Fred Meyer had a buy one get one on all of their on all of their candles. So you know um, you know your boy had to buy step up his candle game because I was I had actually ran all my candles out. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get started on the first on the first story. So my first story, and I actually just thought of this. So there'll be eight stories. So bonus story for you guys. Um, so the first story was how I ended up in a women's defense class in college. Uh, when I first started at Clark, my very first quarter there, I signed up because I, I didn't want to. I don't. I, I was a bad student in high school, and I was already like. I didn't really, I didn't really want to be at college, but it was just something like you were told you needed to go to college. So I was just going to go to college. So I remember being super nervous. I didn't want to take that many hard classes all at once. So what I did was I signed up uh, for a, uh, I signed up for a, it was called self-defense. It was PE and you needed a PE credit to, to graduate or eventually transfer. So I signed up for self-defense, thinking that it was um, going to be like an actual self-defense course, which it was. And I showed up on the first day. I remember it was my very first day of college, my first class I had ever taken. And I show up, I sit in this gym in the upstairs of the uh, athletic center at Clark, and I am the only guy out of... I think a class of probably 35 and I'm like, Oh my God, I am going, I'm the only guy here. And this is a women's self-defense class. And everybody just kept staring at me. So strange. The professor didn't know really how to even like talk to me or address me. It was just like, what on earth are you doing here? Did you not read the description of the class? And I was like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm quitting college. I am, I cannot believe, like, how did, how did I end up, like, how did I end up here? Um, we had to do some like one-on-one stuff. So of course, like nobody wanted to pair with me because it's a women's self-defense course. And I'm literally the person who they're, 
I look like the person that they're probably trying to defend themselves against a six, uh, six foot uh, above six foot tall, um, man. And anyway, uh, that was honestly, it was, that was so terrifying. I ended up dropping the class which wasn't a good start to my college career. I think that set the tone for my fa- my the time like I basically just failed out of Clark my first attempt at college. Um, I floundered around, but I that was that was just kind of like a a little I remember just a, a memory that kind of popped in my head when I was thinking about my early days at Clark, which were marred by absolute uh, laziness and just complete ineptitude on my part. I was a terrible, terrible student, like terrible. I, I didn't go to class. I remember one time I had a, a political science final. Kylie and I were taking the class together and I just completely forgot about the final. I showed up like 20 minutes late into the class because I had, I had just, honestly, I just forgot. I just forgot. Uh, I was taking, um, I failed a uh, I failed a history course. I pre it was like uh, early American history. Uh, I think it was like pre-contact through, and this was like I think my last semester at Clark before I finally hung it up for a couple of years before going. Eventually went back and got my shit together. Uh, I failed a, a, an early American. It was the only class I never retook, so it's like really the only standing F on my, any of my transcripts. But like I just stopped going halfway through the sem- halfway through the quarter. Um, it was up at WSU Vancouver at the Clark building and I didn't really care much for the professor and there wasn't homework. It was just, you could either do uh, three, like eight page papers, or you could do one 20 page paper due at the end of the semester. And I remember sh- the day that it was due, I hadn't even started and I was going to write something about the founders it was my topic and I remember just like begging Kylie to write half of my paper for me and then I wrote the other half and we were just typing away I turned it in like I don't even think my professor read it because I just got it I, I just looked at my my uh, uh, grades the week a week later and I just got an F I turned it in late um, I just, I didn't Kylie didn't even know what she was supposed to be writing about I was just like right and I was like freaking out in the Clark library just typing away which I'm sure was just absolutely atrocious writing didn't even make any sense just completely tone and language switching right in the middle I, I don't know how I didn't get caught for play the only re- I mean I bet I didn't get caught for like plagiarism uh because my professor didn't even my professor at the time didn't even read the uh didn't even read the the paper but what an I, I mean I was just an absolute travesty of a student when I started at Clark. Um, anyway, I I don't know if anybody else has any similar stories um, about their their times in college, but uh, my first like two years at Clark were just an absolute train wreck and a complete waste of money. I was paying for my own way, just paying quarter by quarter, and yeah, I, I eventually I dropped out. I went. Um, dropped out of school, stopped going, decided I was going to work full time at Fisherman's, which, yeah, great life plan. I I can talk all I, I mean, I talk shit about Fisherman's, but that place, as much as it was mutually beneficial, they took a lot of crap from me. I took a lot of crap from them, but ultimately it, uh, it allowed me to work through college once I grew up a bit. But uh, I mean, and then I realized this is not what I wanted to do. Like, 
I, I need to go back to school and thankfully I did and I went and it's amazing how much how easier school is when you decide to give a shit um, and things just like at that point then things just click and you kind of get it like I'm not saying there wasn't tough times I had a semester at WSU Vancouver where I completely just had a mental breakdown like I just uh, my depression my anxiety got so bad I just started putting off work not doing it I was failing three out of four classes um, it wasn't it was like two weeks before the end of the semester and I just like basically broke down and went started that's when I first started going to um, therapy was I was at the end of that semester and wouldn't talk to my professors who were uh, Dr. Donna Sinclair and Dr. Peabody and I'm I still I just saw Dr. Peabody the other day um, Dr. Sinclair who has been on this show who's helped me with To The Republic has just been an ap- absolute great mentor to both Jeff and I um, she's honestly one of the greatest women I, I know um, and they both helped me out a lot I was able to salvage the semester I kind of treat I had to triage I t- decided to fail I, I couldn't get all of the with how what little time I had I didn't have enough time to get the work done on to, to save the one class but I was able to get to salvage and get a B and an A in the other two so I ended up with two A's a B and an F that semester and then I retook that the F I got and it kind of worked out because I was able to when I retook the class that I failed with Dr. Peabody, it was honestly one of the most transformative and informative classes I had taken just in terms of transformative in the sense that it really changed uh, how I see history, um, how I think about history as a as a discipline. And it really helped me with my history like my actual big research seminar classes that we had to take to graduate because um, it was it it was European expansion overseas during the early modern period so European colonialism and really introduced me to that type of history which ended up being like my favorite history to to study Um, so that was um, that was a great class and I, I almost retaking it gave me another shot to learn instead of just cramming everything at the end and not really ever learning anything, being able to go back, um, with a new mindset, um, and be able to take the class again, reset through everything, relearn everything within, in a new context, uh, honestly ended up working out for the best. But anyway, that's just a really long ramble, um, like I said, this is Jake Thoughts with Jake. So you're just going to get a bunch of random, <laughs> just a random bunch of side notes uh, and, and anecdotes about my life. So um, anyway, I think I'll start with uh, my next my next story, which was when I was at Clark, which is um, getting picked up at Clark College is how I uh, wrote this in my notes as a title. Um, I was anybody who's been to Clark, uh, who has taken classes there knows how poor the parking was um it might have gotten better i know they've expanded the campus a bit across the street added more parking i'm sure it's not great like the student body is like over twenty thousand people at clark and they do not have the parking to support that they barely even have the classes in the teachers to support that um level of students that many students but I mean, Clark does their best. It's it's actually a very good education. I thought Clark was one that was... I had Clark classes I thought were more difficult than majority of the classes I took at Washington State. Um, I don't know if it's the quarters, so everything's more compact uh, into, into the quarter system, but because the semester is being about five weeks longer, you give... 
it gives you a little bit more chance to breathe uh, or quarters like everything is just mashed together you start and the next thing you know you're at your midterms um, anyway so I trying to find parking was just absolutely atrocious and especially trying to find parking anywhere near the building that you had your class in like you had to get to campus at least 30 45 minutes early just to try to find parking and make sure you had parking by the time your class started and there would be times where I when I was in this was when I was at uh, the worst of my Clark experience before when I was failing out um, I had parked down by Hudson's Bay which was my old high school which is a ways away from where I had my class, but that was the only place I could find street parking because all of the parkings um, in camp, like all the camp campus parking lots didn't even, there was no point in driving in there because there was just at any point, just a line of cars just circling, waiting for someone to leave, to be leaving so they could take their parking spot. And that's exactly kind of what happened to me as I walked out of, uh, I walked out of Geyser Hall um, which is all the way at the top of campus. And I'm walking through the parking lot when this old Honda Accord um, pulls up. And it's this really kind of bro who looks like he listens to a lot of Fallout Boy, which no no judgment. Fallout Boy is good. But you kind of know what I'm talking about. The guy with the big DC skate shoes, um, backwards monster hat. Maybe he didn't. No, probably didn't listen to fall. Probably listened to Fall Out Boy in high school, but now listens to a lot of like Trapped, like Headstrong. The song Headstrong. I think that this guy definitely um, listened to Headstrong a lot, and that was kind of his life motto. That he'll take you on. He'll take on anyone. Um. Anyway, very interesting dude, and we had a very short interaction. But it was basically like, hey are you leaving campus? And I I said, yes. He's like, do you want a ride to your car? I'll give you a ride to your car um, so I can have your parking spot. And I should have said no because it's weird getting into a car with a stranger at a college campus. I feel like that's how people get murdered when you when you hear about like college campus murders. Like this is how they start. But I didn't want to say no so I got in this dude's car, and it was very, very dirty. It was a very dirty car. It wasn't, like I said, it was like a 95 Honda Accord that the guy tried to make in sound like a sports car. Like, he had just watched Fast and Furious. So he had, like, this really cheap, like, spoiler. Um, it had, like, a fart can on it, and it was just a really loud, annoying car. And uh, we start driving and he's like, oh, where are you parked? And I said, oh, I'm parked on the street on the side of Hudson's Bay. And he goes, oh, shit, that's way too far. And he just like straight pulls over on the side of Fort Vancouver Way, not even close to where my car is. And he goes, well, I don't feel like driving down there so you can get out. So dude, literally homeboy literally drops me off maybe like three, a couple hundred feet from where I had gotten in the car. And then he just like stared at me. And so then I was actually now farther away from where my car was. And he just like kicks me out of his car because that was too far for him to drive and park. And uh, and then I'm just he drives off and like he was pissed at me. And I just standing there on the side of the road, just super confused about how on earth this whole situation just happened. Like I just got into a car with a stranger that stranger got mad at me because I wasn't apparently wasn't forthright with how far my car was away. 
I would have thought any parking spot at Clark would be good enough because literally you can't find parking anywhere, literally on the street, around the campus, on campus, like anywhere within walking distance of campus, especially in the first few weeks of a quarter, you're not in the middle of the day, you're not finding parking. You're just not finding it. So um, I didn't think I needed to tell him where my car was, but apparently uh, I did. Um, so yeah, not only did I end up getting into a what into a car where I could have been taken and murdered. I apparently pissed the dude off because I didn't tell him how far my car was, and I ended up further away from my car had I had than than I would have if I had just said, "No, man, I'm not going to get in your car, you weirdo." So that um, that is the story of how I ended up in a stranger's car getting picked up at Clark College. So my next story is called, I titled it, The Accidental Date. And this happened uh, back in t- June, early June of 2020. Uh, I, during, right during the smack, like smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, um, those of you who have listened to us at any point probably know, like, been pretty Jeff and I have both been very open about our struggles with mental health um I was in a um I was in an inpatient program around this time I had actually just gotten out of inpatient I was just in the middle of an uh, intensive outpatient um intensive intensive outpatient program uh through Rainier Springs here in Vancouver um dealing getting, you know, intense therapy, getting on medication for the first time, really dealing with, I had a lot of shit going on in my life at that time. Um, and it was, uh, it was a really trying time and it would, mental health had been something that I had completely, um, ignored taking care of myself for such a long time. And so that was kind of like, this was like the beginning of me kind of really starting to, me and uh, me starting to really kind of take care of that, figuring it out, um, getting on, um, like, I don't know, like getting on a better path and really dealing with my inner demons. And uh, I, sw- I swear, this story gets funny. The but I have this like, I don't know why, but I just always end up, I just always end up um, because I can't say no and I'm just like overly. I'm like overly nice because I want people to like me. When I get in like social groups, um, I usually am pretty like reserved at first, but then I end up because like I have this need to want to be liked. I kind of eventually will start talking to people like individually. I never really speak up in, in class, but I form groups. Well, I don't know if this makes any sense. Like I'm not an outwardly like expressive or, um, outgoing person in a groups and like in a big group setting, but I do a really good job of for like of forming like smaller friend groups where I, where I'm more comfortable and that's how I kind of navigate large social situations. I like being off in a corner with a short, a small group of friends where you can have more of an intimate conversation, more like in-depth conversation. Um, and that's kind of how I ended up on an accidental date. So um, Kylie and I were still kind of figuring things out at this point. We had, um, her and I had broken up uh, a few months earlier um, and 
the we're still kind of, at this point we're kind of like figure we were figuring things out um I mean <laughs> spoiler alert if you don't know we're married we're expecting we got married last summer we're expecting our first kid here in a couple in about a month and a half um so every <laughs> we worked it out and we're in a really good spot now but at that point um my whole life was upside down and sideways and like every direction but up and just trying to piece it back together and um I didn't it was hard because the pandemic you didn't we didn't really have any friends we didn't really have any I I mean you couldn't really go see your friends for fear of like spreading like you didn't want to get anybody else sick like uh and honestly I just needed it was hard for me to like open up and talk to other people because at that time like I mean who else who better than other people in your program to talk to about mental health because they're going like you're in therapy like you're in a group therapy setting you're talking about a lot of the same stuff you're learning a lot of the same stuff so it's kind of like a classroom setting that's how jeff and i became friends we were taking class we were taking classes together and that's kind of like glued us together because we had something initially to talk about and then we realized oh hey there's more to talk about here you're a good guy i'm a good guy let's be friends um so that's kind of how i sort of began talking to this individual um as a like as a friend and um his name was well i won't say what his name was um if you're listening that's probably that's that's probably not how you thought this was was turning out i don't think jeff has even heard this story um i think jeff knows about this individual because i talked about the situation a little bit with him but it's definitely something where it just kind of went in the completely opposite direction from where I started, which is how, like, was kind of the main theme uh, in these stories is that just things go completely the op, like, completely out of my control, mostly because I don't have the ability to say no or set boundaries. So what had happened is, like, my first day in intensive outpatient, I'll set the scene here. So how, how that works, how this works is, so initially when I was an inpatient, I was spending 24, I spent seven straight days, like, basically locked, like, locked, locked away um, in a, not really a jail, but it was like a mental health facility with other people who were dealing with either um, detox, um, co-occur, like, de- either detox um, drug issues, uh, co-occurring, so mental health and, um, which I mean, basically everybody's like either, either it's, it's mental health or it's co-occurring. Like, I don't think people, if you're using, mostly if you're using drugs to that extent, it's because you're coping for me- with mental health issues. Like that's just what it is. So it's like co-occurring detox or just straight like suicidal mental health stuff. Um, there's a lot of I, I met a lot of people who were bipolar, a lot of people who were schizophrenic, um, and a lot of people who were dealing with um, with bouts of, of drug abuse and alcoholism. And um, that was a great. I mean, it was a very eye opening and very great experience getting able to to talk with people who struggle with a lot of the same things. Like I I don't use drugs. I've never been drunk in my entire life. Like I'm not judge. I'm not. I hope this doesn't come across as me like judging any individual for how they cope with mental health. Like I my coping mechanisms were probably as destructive to my life as drugs were um, to the to these people. It's just how however you end up 
coping with your with your unresolved mental health and thankfully there's places like Rainier Springs that can that can help people get back on their feet in the short term it puts them it it is exactly what I needed it was a basically an insulated environment where I could basically just sleep I can't even explain to you like once I was once they were able to get me on medication and I was able to sleep for the first time because I was like in I was in I was in suffering with insomnia i hadn't slept in weeks i lost like 50 pounds in the span of like a month and a half i was not in a good state and um it was it was a it was a brutal it was a brutal time uh but i also am so thankful for that time too because it really helped me reset and get get on my feet and uh, we need more facilities like that and we need we need to talk about mental health and be more open about um the processes of imp- like of inpatient intensive outpatient therapy medication like these are all things that are, i think would help so much with all of the ills of our society there are so much systemic issues in our society that just stem from unresolved untalked about mental health anyway i'm completely off topic back to the accidental date um the so i am now in out in intensive outpatient, which I started right after I got out of inpatient, and that is basically it's a group therapy. Normally, before the pandemic, how this would work is you would go um, every day for about three to four hours, and you would um, you would do a group therapy session. Well, because it was the pandemic, everything was over Zoom. So I was doing it from the comfort of my home, um, which had its benefits. One, you didn't have to leave your house. Um, the disadvantage is, is that everything is over Zoom, so it's not as it's not as personal. Um, you don't get to really connect as well with other people. Um, but for me, that's kind of a good thing because I'm 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 not an out a naturally outgoing person. Social situations give me a lot of anxiety, so having kind of having that barrier with Zoom is is nice. Um, but it's also like it's a it's a classroom setting, right? If you've if you've been in a classroom, whether in high school, uh, or especially college, you end up with a very mixed bag. Especially with commuter campuses like Clark and Washington State, Vancouver, you end up with people from all age groups, all socioeconomic backgrounds, um, and you get it's a very mixed bag of what you kind of end up with. So you learn to kind of like navigate those situations and. Uh, my very first day, I I met this, and there was this individual in the class who was one of those individuals who always had something to say, regardless if it related to what the the therapist slash like teacher um, was saying. Always had a very long story and took every topic back to themselves, and so I naturally instantly was annoyed with this person because that's just. Um, I was always annoyed with those people in school and this was no different because this was like a four hour class setting. So anything that was going to elongate my day, um, and take away from my, like, I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't think has anybody ever actually learned like sort top, like source material from somebody else's anecdote in class. Like I've learned from. I mean, I've taken other people's life lessons and stories that I've gotten from people who I know and trust, but some random person in a class who's like, oh, um, this relates to me, and it doesn't really actually relate to them, but they just want to talk about themselves. Those have never helped. I, I truly believe, and I, I feel confident saying this, those things have never helped anybody. Anyway, this person was very much like that. I remember, and this was like, I don't, 
it's amazing to me that people still don't understand etiquette on Zoom. You still have your camera on. We were required to have our cameras on. You couldn't have your camera off. Uh, you had to be in front of your camera the entire time. Like we had breaks and lunches, but you had to be back at a certain time. This was a, this was still a very structured time. But I'll give people a pass because I think most people didn't really understand like Zoom etiquette at that time. Like we were still, this was the early pandemic. Most people had never used Skype. I had the advantage of using Zoom with American University because I was taking classes like live online classes. So I had used Zoom before. So like I'm, I, I know, I guess like how to mute yourself, like how to um, like you're basically presenting your like you're basically presenting yourself like you're sitting there on camera. I don't know, maybe don't show up in your SpongeBob pajamas. Um, even though this is you are home and this is therapy, I don't know. I maybe I'm being pretentious, but at least just put on a basic T-shirt. Like, dude, you're showing up in your like SpongeBob pajamas, and you're being really loud and you're hogging up. You're like sucking up all the air, even though it's on. Like, we're all remote. Like, it's insane. Anyway, of course, I end up befriending this person because I have nobody else to talk to, and this person's very outgoing, and I can't set boundaries. So, lo and behold, I end up, um, over time, like, this, the very first time I was introduced to this individual, my first day in intensive outpatient, the person had their the person had their um, camera, like their computer or laptop, whatever they're using for their for their uh, their their internet device, at the bottom of their bed, and their feet were right in the camera. So I'm just staring at for the entire first day of of my of my me interacting in a classroom setting with this person was staring at this person's feet and they stared all of the time and how Zoom works is that when you can have the uh, preset situation like a preset uh, preset thing where when someone talks uh, they go to like the big screen and everybody else you have all the little small screens and the talker is like at the has the big screen. So every time this person would unmute and start talking, I would just get the majority of my laptop screen completely filled with this person's feet. And and then I it just I end up talking to this person because I needed a like it it works for me because I needed a like I needed a friend. I needed someone who understood kind of like I could talk to about a lot of the like the shit that was going on and talking about the things that we were learning and like applying, like that was really helpful. And he ended up being a very nice, like he ended up being a very nice person. Definitely like, um, polar opposites in terms of like how you interact together. Right. I'm very reserved. I'm very quiet. This person's very, very loud. Um, very like, um, just, I don't know, just opposites, not a bad thing. Just, not somebody who like I would normally like interact with but at at that time in that place in that context it was kind of like some like kind of like the friend I needed it got me out of my it got me out of my shell allowed me to um, be more active and more um, connect with the material more because I had a friend where I could talk like I could talk to them I and uh, he he ends up sending a bunch of us um, trying to set up a, like a group um outside of the outpatient which 
like all that sounds great in um in theory right but anyway um i think you realize once the confines of that particular um like once you don't have those those things those connecting things which being in a classroom kind of necessitates you kind of like once you realize like that's the only thing you had in common there really isn't much else to talk about um but this person decided that like they had just moved to their story was difficult and they had just moved to Vancouver uh from Indiana a very difficult home life and they they were asking me like hey like I just moved here right as the pandemic and then the pandemic started and I've been like basically locked in my house like I like I would love to get out and um I would love to get out and meet Vancouver like see Vancouver I'm like sure um yeah let's go to lunch is there any place open so we ended up meeting at Billigan's Roadhouse which is like the only restaurant I think that was even open to like dine in uh, this was, I'm pretty sure they were just ignoring uh, the the local and state orders on this. So we ended up meeting there and um, it was like a Tuesday afternoon. And I I come driving up thinking like, okay, we're, um, we're we are, uh, we're just meeting here as, as friends. We had just both finished uh, intensive outpatient and um, like, this was going to be a, like I was anticipating like this was like a, a friend's lunch. Well, well, I as I'm pulling up to Billigan's, I see this person and they are they are dressed as if it's a date. And I'm like, oh, no, like, oh, no, like I did not mean to like I felt really one. I felt really bad because I did not mean to give off that impression and. Um, and I'm like, how am I going to, how am I going to navigate? How am I going to navigate this? And it ended up being one of the most uncomfortable lunches I have ever been on. And it was just a, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it was just a, it was honestly one of the most absolutely uncomfortable lunches I've, in, in experiences I've ever, I've ever been on because it was clear that there was like a miscommunication there. Um, and I felt like I felt bad for that. And then from there, the, the, the friendship just got worse. Like the person started really, um, being, the person started really being like over trying to be over involved in my life and kind of really overstepping with the things that they were saying, which I mean, I, I felt bad about the whole situation because if I had just been better at, uh, I guess if I had just been better at communicating and setting boundaries from the beginning, I could have completely, um, I, I could have made that whole situation a lot better. Um, but it was definitely a result of, uh, just, I guess just miscommunication. And, uh, but yeah, I ended up on an, I ended up on an accidental date just because I didn't have the ability to say no, um, or to be clear, um, about intentions. So, yeah, that was, that was just, once I left, I just, I, I sat in my car and I'm like, I need to reevaluate how I communicate, apparently, because I just, like, oh my gosh, I just ended up on an accidental date. Like, I, this was not, I was just like, looking, and then, and then I started, like, reflecting, I'm like, how could I have, like, 
how could how did I end up here? And then I'm like, oh, I I mean, it was pretty clear. Like, I didn't. Apparently, I mean, I I should there was things I should have picked up on that made the that maybe it sh- it shouldn't have been as shocking, um, what I ended up showing up to, um, but anyway, yeah, that was a big learning experience for me and definitely a huge shock. But just more of that theme of when you're <laughs> anxiety and people pleasing and not knowing how to set boundaries always ends up dragging me into. Um, really awkward situations. So going forward, I think a, a few more of my stories will be a little bit more lighthearted and funny because anxiety also has um, changes. Like I don't know, like your order of operations changes a lot based on your higher, like your hierarchy of needs. And anxiety always seems to like warp what um, your hierarchy of needs are and what your like. What you're supposed to like what your self interests are under when you're in a really anxious state and kind of how you perceive the world and, and like the limitations you put on yourself, like things you think you can't do because like your anxiety is telling you you can't, you end up like acting really erratically, and that also drags me into really st- like strange situations and like things I could have completely avoided where people who are around me are like, What the hell are you doing? and I'm like. I do, I do, I don't know, do I don't know. So I think the the one of the best stories I think that uh, kind of illustrates this was when I first started driving. I was petrified of driving. Like I wouldn't drive at all. Now it's weird because I drive everywhere. Like I'll just get in my car and just drive, and I'll drive hours to go on hikes or to to go places. But like when I first started driving. Dude, I I was so scared of driving. I I was I would just panic. I would have to pull over. And one of the th- I remember the first time I was driving to school, uh, Hudson's Bay, uh, to go to. I had just gotten my learner's permit, and I was driving with my mom to go to Drivers Ed. And I'm driving down Columbia Street, and apparently going 25 miles an hour was just <laughs> was just too much. I had to like I just turned abruptly into a side road and then just parked. I'm like, I can't drive. Like, I can't drive. I can't do this. It's too scary. And uh, so I like driving was a big thing for me. And for a long time, for at least the first few years of me driving, I wouldn't turn left across traffic uh, unless it was like even a lot of times like uh, left turn lanes. I wouldn't do it. So I would have to I would literally drive around blocks doing just right turns or driving miles like wasting 10, 15, 20 extra minutes just so I didn't have to take a left turn and only going right turning, making right turns and going straight because I was so anxious about doing left like turning left. And I remember I was supposed to meet my uncle it's because we had something really important we we're supposed to do, but I needed to go to the bank first to get money because we were paying. We were going to go and meet this person that we had to. We had to pay our lease fee to be able to hunt on this particular property, and we had to be there at a particular time. And I left with thinking that I had enough time to get to uh, Columbia Credit Union in Hazeldale, and then get to and then drive to my uncle's in Ridgefield. I left my parents' house, but then. I had to, because of my left turn anxiety, I ended up driving for ever trying to figure out a way to get to this particular Columbia Credit Union without turning left. 
And then I gave, I couldn't do it. So then I gave up and I went to the Columbia Credit Union downtown, but I didn't want to drive on the freeway anywhere because at that, just randomly, I was like, I can't drive on the freeway right now. I'm too anxious to drive on the freeway. So then I drove back roads all the way from Hazeldale to downtown Vancouver to go to uh, the main branch of Columbia Credit Union and then drove back roads all the way out to Ridgefield. So I ended up being like 45 minutes an hour late. And how do you go about explaining to someone who's like, why are you like, how, how are you so late? And they just think you're being lazy, like you overslept. But really, I had spent an hour and a half just trying to drive around, trying to get to my bank because I was too anxious. Like, how do you explain to someone like I didn't I was too anxious to take a left turn and to drive on the freeway. So I was driving back roads. And so then I I think to this day, like I if my uncle even remembers that, I vividly remember it because I felt so bad about being so late. And I just felt like a complete like loser um, because I made us so late. But it was really because I didn't have because I was so anxious about driving. And I'm like, I can't take a left turn. I can't take a left turn. I guess can't do it. And it was just like I would freeze up. I would get super anxious. And so I would just literally drive um, around round blocks just taking right turn after right turn after right turn trying to figure out ways to get to a place without having to take a left turn and this went on for years like this went on probably until after high school to where I finally felt comfortable enough to drive and now I'm I feel fine like I drive in downtown Portland all the time there really isn't much driving that causes me anxiety anymore but at that time like when I first started driving it was a big thing so left turn anxiety um has definitely (laughs) definitely caused me to act very erratic on roadways and i'm i'm sure i have caused almost caused a lot of accidents because of my my uh, anxiety of making left turns and so this pivoting to the next story this is kind of a complete uh adjacent turn doesn't really relate to left making left turns i guess i should say but the this story I have told on this on the podcast before, but it was a long time ago. It was uh, it's the story of me accidentally ordering uh, something I didn't mean to order, which uh, because I have I kind of have mush mouth a bit, and when I'm ordering, especially walking up to a counter at a fast food place. Or something, or any place where you order over the counter, I get really bad anxiety about that. So that's why one of the reasons why I always order the same thing is because I know how to order that. And so ordering something new gives me sometimes gives me anxiety because I think I'm going to like say it wrong. So like when I know how to order, like when I have something that I order, I always order the same thing because I know how to say it when I walk up. Well, when I was in high school. My senior year, a couple of my friends and I, uh, Will and Garrett and I, went to Muchos Gracias after after school one day, and this was the one up on Main uh, up on Main Street in Hazeldale. I guess it's Highway ninety nine uh, in Minnehaha or sixty third, and it's like the the class, It was like the old A and W restaurant, and then it became a Muchos Gracias. So it was like it's like a circular building. Anyway, none of that pertains to the story, but I, I'm setting the tone here. So I go and I walk into the, I go and I what we walk in, and they order, and then I order last, and I was like, I, I always got the rolled tacos, so I think it was like a number one special, no guacamole, 
Uh, so I ordered that, and then I was like, "Can I have?" And they had it was a fountain drink, but it was like it was a it was a fountain out it was a fountain like set up outside, like in the lobby, so you could go and refill if you wanted to. It wasn't something you had to like order like Wendy's where they order they or at least how Wendy's used to be is that they or the movie theater where they fill it up for you and then hand it to you. So I don't know why I felt like I needed to. Uh, specify specifically what I wanted because like you had your choices out there and they just asked for a large soda um but back then I called it pop because that's how my family called it um now I call it soda because that's how normal people call that particular that that soft drink it's soda pop is just weird but my whole family growing up that's how they said it was do you want a pop so um but I felt like at the time when I walked up, I was like, I wanted a large, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to order a pop or if I wanted to be specific and say Coke. But then as I started to say Coke, um, I realized I didn't need in my like in that split second decision. And I'm already anxious because I'm ordering in the whole situation and my friends are standing there. And so I was going to say pop, but I was going to say Coke. I mean, I was going to say Coke, like a large Coke. Um, but as I'm thinking in my head, like, I don't need to be specific. I just need to ask for a large pop general because I can go. It's like they're not filling it for me. They don't need to know what I'm drinking. They just need to know what size. So I order a large and then the word combination of Coke and pop came out cock. And so I ordered I to a very to the very unfortunate woman taking my order i ordered a number one special with a large cock and my (laughs) she was trying not to laugh my friends just start rolling like just busting up laughing i turned beet red i turned red for like anything drop of literally anything could happen and i turn red i turn red talking about anything to anybody even my family i turn red talking too, if I'm embarrassed about something, and so like I just go beat red. I can feel my ear, the tops of my ears burning because of like how much, like how flushed I've become in embarrassment. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. A large soda. I want a large pop. I just and then so she, so I pay. She hands me the soda, and of course, like we're eating there. We had ordered it for there, so I didn't. I couldn't just escape out of this. And I didn't drive, so I couldn't leave. I was stuck there. So I had... And then she brought out our our food. And so it was just... So then I had to walk back. Because it's like, order, like, whatever my number was. And she called my number. So then I had to walk back up there and get my tray with my rolled tacos, my taquitos, um, from her. And had to see her one last time. Uh, after having ordered a large cock at Muchos Gracias. And that story will forever be in my memory because how could you forget the time that you ordered a large cock? So my next story is about um, the time that me, Kylie, my um, best friend at the time, Will, and Kylie's longtime friend, uh, Haley, all went to Hawaii after Kylie and Haley had graduated high school and me and Will who are a, a great older who were a great older had already graduated but as part of Kylie and I were dating and so we all got I went Kylie and I went we're gonna go Kylie's dad paid 
for a trip to Hawaii for us and Will came along and so did Haley and so the four of us uh, ended up going on this trip together and one of the days we decided we were and none of us knew anything we weren't old enough to rent a car so we decided to each day we were there one of us were we all picked one thing that we wanted to do and Will's thing is he wanted to go see the Turtle Bay Beach Resort where Forgetting Sarah Marshall was was shot or at least like the setting of it was and he wanted to see like the north shore with all the waves but this was summer so the the waves weren't there were no waves anyway he wanted to see the north shore so and none of us knew that we thought we were gonna go see monster waves and johnny tsunami from the the disney channel was gonna be out there carving it up bruh and so we we get on the public bus and drive all the way around to the north shore and when we get to where we're going to be going um we we were going to rent um oh that's right we were going to we were going to go snorkeling so we stopped at this place and we rented snorkel gear and the whole thing is that they were going to drive us to this place to go snorkel with sea turtles but we paid for like instead of paying for the guide like the guided tour where they take you to the sea turtles we're like oh we'll just go um, it's like a self-guided thing and they basically just give you the snorkel stuff and then drop you off at some place where they claim they're sea turtles and then they will pick you up in a predetermined amount of time. So, which was just stupid and a complete waste of money. They knew, like, they knew they were, they were basically just screwing us because they dropped us off at a public beach that was just super packed and none of us, like, Will and I decided that was, we we're going to work on our tan and not wear sunscreen. Well, being out on the water and swimming in the water without sunscreen, you fry pretty quickly, especially when you're of um, northern or central European descent. You have, I have very, a very, very pale complexion and I burn easily. And so driving back, both Will and I were so sunburnt and it was so uncomfortable and I was so dehydrated and we didn't see any fucking sea turtles. We didn't even see any fish. The water was so salty. There were no waves. And we were just literally on a public beach. Like, it was just... And we paid uh, We paid pretty decent money just to be dropped at some random place. And But we were in Hawaii. Who cared? Uh, like, right? Who cares? We were, we, were there to ha- we were there having fun. We were away from our parents. It was like our first big trip away from... Like, with no parental supervision. Like, this was like... This was... We were having fun regardless. We didn't know any better that this was like this was a complete scam. And but all we know is like I was super sunburnt and I was super dehydrated and completely delirious. And I began to be I be and I'm not I have a very low pain threshold. So when I get uncomfortable, I become uh, I become a baby, a huge baby. And Kylie and Haley were both basically trying to take care of both Will and I. And it. It, it wasn't going well. Like I was completely delirious, and then we decided that it would be a good idea if we went to Margaritaville. Um, and Mar- uh, Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville restaurant in um, Honolulu. And so we sit down, and I like I just start feeling instantly sick. I can't focus on anything. I'm. I, I just, my whole body hurt from my, like, full body sunburn, and I just felt super, like, I, I was just really grumpy, and I just got really, really 
I was hot. I was uncomfortable. Everything itched. And I was just like, I need to go. Like, I have to go. And I just stand up in the middle of the restaurant. I'd already ordered. And I just bolt out of the restaurant. And everybody's like staring at me because I was being really like overly dramatic. The waiter was like, apparently asked, like, is that guy okay? And they're like, I have no idea. And for me, I don't know where I was going. I was just needed to go. I was going to go home. And I just like, I, I start booking it like north. And somehow I still ended up, I, it was like in the middle of Honolulu. It was like 11 o'clock at night. It's pitch dark. And I'm just like speed walking with no particular destination. I guess I'm trying to get back to the hotel, but like, what's the hotel going to do for me? I was just like, I was, I was just completely out of it and just as dramatic as I needed to be. But I was just like huffing and puffing. I was calling, I I was like, Oh my God. Like I, I didn't know what was going on. Well, the next day, like finally get the, the pain under control a bit from the, from the, and I get dehydrated so I can think clearly, uh, Will and Will and uh, Will and Haley left the day before Kylie and I were going to leave, and then we went to we went to to Pearl Harbor, and we had hired like um, the through the the hotel there was like a basically like a, a bus service that you could you could pay, and they'd take you to whatever tourist destination you wanted to go to, and we went I. So they were supposed to pick us up, but they forgot us. So we're stuck at Pearl Harbor for hours. Trying, we were trying to call to get a hold of the 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 service that is supposed to pick us up. Finally, they send somebody. It's like in the middle of prime time traffic in Honolulu. It took us another hour and a half to get back to our hotel. In the meantime, like I'm still like kind of somewhat recovering from my dehydration, so I'm just not like it's just miserable. And then I decided it was a good idea to go relax in a hot tub, which with a massive sunburn isn't a particularly good idea. And so we had to leave the next morning to go to, we had to leave the next morning to go back to Portland. And the, when I went into the hot tub and got out of the hot tub, it must have, it, created some reaction with my sunburn but I had like this uncontrollable painful itching all over my back to where like it couldn't no matter how much aloe vera how much like any sort of sunscreen or cream or anything Benadryl I tried to take it would not subside like I could not and like how am I going to write and then my mind just goes how am I going to be on a on a plane for three hours and with like this back itching, like I'm not going to be able to get on the plane. I'm going to like, this is going to be awful. Like I'm like, I'm going to be stuck in Hawaii and I'm going to miss my flight. And it's just like, and so like, I didn't realize that I, in my panic, I didn't realize the time difference between Portland and Hawaii, which is about three hours. We're like three hours behind in Hawaii. So at nine 30, 10 o'clock, Hawaiian time it's like one two in the morning in Portland and so first I tried dialing um using the I've never actually figured out how to use a hotel phone like how to dial out well anyway I ended up calling some Asian dude in another room by accident 
And like, I must have woke them up because he was not particularly happy. And I'm like, at first, like I was dialing what I thought was my parents' number, their home phone. But really, I ended up dialing either another room or somebody, but an Asian guy picked up. And I'm like, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm like, I'm like, dad. And (laughs) I just got like, no. A very angry no, and I'm like, oh, really sorry, I have the wrong number, and then they were, like, trying to figure out, like, that person was trying to figure out why I was calling, and because I didn't want to be rude and hang up the phone, I was, like, trying to explain that I had accidentally, I had a really, um, and then I started to over-explain, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to get hold of my parents, uh, they live in Portland, and I have a really bad sunburn, and my back itches, and then this, there was clearly a language barrier, and they weren't understanding, and they just kept yelling, and I was just getting more and more nervous, so eventually, I just hang up the phone, and so then I finally get a hold, I finally figure out, I, I think my phone was dead, and eventually, I got it charged, so then I called my parents, and I kept, they didn't answer, and I'm like, why aren't they answering, because I'm thinking it's only 9.30, like, what are they doing in bed, it's like a Friday, and then, finally they answered the phone but they were like they answered the phone really like scared because i'm calling them at two in the morning frantically like they had they woke up to like five or six missed calls on each of their cell phones in the home phone and they're like what's what's jake what's and finally they answered like jake jake what's going on what's going on what's going on and i'm like and then it, it dawned on me that i'm calling them because my back itched and there wasn't really an emergency and i just needed to be a grown-up and and figure it out myself because my dad's like, Jake, what's wrong? Jake, what's wrong? And I hear my mom in the background. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I go, my my, my, my back itches. And my mom, I can hear my mom saying, like, Gary, is, is Jake okay? Is Jake, is like, is he doing okay? And then he, my dad's just like, yeah, it's just his fucking back itches. And like, he, my dad was so mad at me. Like, my dad was so mad at me for like, waking them up and like, scaring them. And then I felt like a complete idiot because I was freaking about about a bat. Like ultimately, then everything just kind of gets into perspective. Like I'm being really way over dramatic about this whole thing. And you know, <laughs> as I'm telling these stories, and Kylie has been a part of most of them, she has put up with so much of my shit and me just being so dramatic about things and making situations so much worse. Um, in the moment because I don't know how to regulate my emotions. So that must have been really frustrating for her because we could have, I could have definitely, if we had just, if I had just listened to her and I, (laughs) instead of like just being who I am, uh, I wouldn't have ended up with one. If I had just put sunscreen on, like Kylie said, I should have, I would have avoided all of that pain. But, um, yeah, anyway, that's how I ended up freaking out over a sunburn and an itchy back in Hawaii. All right, so the last two stories I have um, is my Fisher investment story, my applying to Fisher Investments. The, um, the struggle was real coming out of college. I think you think, or kind of how we're told... Um, is that once you get your degree, all of these doors are going to be magically opened up for you. And everybody's like, who wouldn't want to hire you? You were Magnum. You, you, uh, you had a 3.85. You graduated Magnum Cum Laude from Washington State University, Vancouver. Everybody in the local economy is going to want to hire you. So hot right now. Um, 
and everybody loves you. Everybody wants to be you. Every you just you you are on top of the world when you graduate college. You think you're the smartest person on the planet, and um, of course you're going to walk into a job with a corner office. Um, and then reality really quickly sets in when you realize that the only thing on your resume is the classes that you took, and nobody gives a shit that you took a class on uh, race and inequality in North America, or you took psychology of war, and that was like the greatest class you ever took, and that's all you want to talk about is international institutions. Well, there's no, um, yeah, you're nobody cares Nobody cares. <laughs> and um, you really quickly r- realize that um, you don't have much to put on a resume other than your school accolades and no real experience, even though I, mean, I had been working, but I have been working in retail, which doesn't have a whole lot of applicable experience when you're talking about wanting to get into higher paying jobs. So, and you're not, I mean, I never really took advantage of career I, career stuff so I didn't know how to market myself. I thought everybody would find what I found interesting. So I'll just put that on a on a cover letter or resume. Why not? Um, it'll clearly work. My genius will just shine through, and people will know who I am based on my resume and my in my school transcripts. Who wouldn't want to hire me? Well, um, yeah, you find out really quickly that yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lot more difficult than that, and you have to you have to constantly be honing your skills and learning how to market yourself and it's it took me a long time and a lot of failed uh interview attempts a lot of failed uh applications just not even getting calls back like and it was just it was getting really hard well uh, i applied for um fisher investments in um in bank i think it's like in camas but it's like it's it's a it's an investment firm. They hire. I mean, I know people who work there. Uh, it seems like a great company. And one, I, I have a. I think I have a family. I have a family member. I I don't think I know. I have a family member who works there. Uh, I have a couple other. Um, fr- Kylie has a friend. I have a friend who works there. And I was like, I was really kind of excited. I mean, I was like, oh, the and I I know that they hire. Um, people who from all they even say like in their like their recruiting page on their website they say we hire people from all majors like it's something that they value they want diversity of thought in their work in their workforce and they feel like we can teach and like how this is how they say it's like we can teach you what you need to know um, we just need them to basically know that you can think for yourself and I'm like okay great like somebody will want to hire me because of my history degree. They clearly say that they want people of all sorts of backgrounds. So I did all of this. I over-prepared. And when I over-prepare, it clogs my mind. Like, I do better just relying on my on my quick recall memory and not over-preparing. When I over-prepare, I constantly over like want to throw everything out and then I my brain becomes a log jam and then I just get and then I just basically end up freezing up and so I really over prepared for um this interview and it was a phone interview and I, I remember like I was so nervous it was like I think it was like an 8 30 in the morning phone interview I got up um and I was like walking around outside of our apartment in this little green space and doing like my power walking like when I talk a lot of times when I talk on the phone like I pace so I'm constantly just walking around in circles 
And so like I'm just out there walking around in circles. And the first question is, uh, what what do um, in your words, what do we do here at Fisher Investments? And I <laughs> like what a what is right. What a softball question. Um, but all I could get out was um, you guys are a fiduciary and you are an investment firm. Yeah. And, and then I couldn't think of anything else to say. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, my God. And they're like, OK. And then and the, the very, very nice interview, like person who's doing like the interview. And this is like the initial interview, apparently. And because it's a multi like interview process is from I found out later. And she was being very nice. And she was like, OK, well, what like what does like what does fiduciary mean? What is like when we invest? Like, what does it like? What does it mean? And like, I just my mind went completely blank and I was started panicking. And I'm like, I, I didn't have any like nothing could come out of my brain, literally nothing. And I just was like, I am so sorry for wasting your time. I I. I'm sorry. Like I just, I have to, I have to get, I have to get off the phone. Thank you so much for your time. Sorry for wasting your time. Um, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. And then I hung up the phone and, uh, I thought that was the end of it. And, uh, I got a, like about 20 minutes later, I got a call. I got a call and I let it go to voicemail. And then there was a voicemail saying like, Hey, like, um, we heard from such and such person who did your interview. Um, just wanted to check in, make sure everything is okay. Um, we would like, if you'd like to set up another interview, um, please give us a call back. We'd like to speak with you. Um, and I'm like, uh, I'm just going to leave it alone. And then I, so I sent an email, um, to Fisher and I was like, you know, I really like, I'm so sorry. Like I really, um, like, I'm really sorry for all, like, for wasting your guys' time. I just, I, I just was, I don't know what happened. I just, it, it, it just, uh, it got away. It just really got away from me. I really apologize. And they sent back this really, like, nice, apologetic, like, this really apologetic, uh, re- very nice, very understanding um, email. Like, you know, we're really, uh, we're really sorry. If you'd like to give it another try, um, please get, you know, please reschedule, um, and, and they were so nice to me and I was, and which made me feel even worse because it's like, even if I like call back, like they're doing in my mind, they're just doing that because they're like, it must've come across as so shocking. Like who appall like who apologizes and then who sends an apology email for a botch interview. But I felt so bad and I just needed to, um, I just couldn't. I, anyway, that was just honestly one of the most dramatic experiences of my of my life because I, it was just it was so bad. I couldn't in a million years imagine that I would be for someone who literally does like a podcast and I talk for I mean, I basically I, I can ramble on for an hour. I can give any sort of I, I can speak. I can give a speech. I can do I I'm not I'm not an idiot, but yet. In that moment, I had nothing to say. I had absolutely nothing to say. But to be honest, like it was a it was a good growing experience because when eventually when I got an interview of another job that was like high stakes, like I think there was a part of me that was like that job pays so well and it's such a good opportunity. Like that's a career, right? And so like everything just was like all of the failures and the like up to that point of me not getting the job 
not knowing what I was going to do with my life, knowing that I had all of the student debt, like, oh my God, what did I get myself into? I need a job. I need something that, that, you know, that makes decent money so I can get started on my life. And then I think all of that weight and then over preparing and all of that anxiety just like created like it just I had I had nothing like I just completely had nothing to say I had it was so embarrassing. And then to like and then I sent an and then I, I shouldn't have sent an apology email. I mean, I guess it wouldn't it hurt, but <laughs> um, thankfully they were so nice to me. Um, but oh my God, that was just honestly one of the worst experiences. Um, I wouldn't, re- I don't know if I would recommend something. If you ever are in an interview uh, and you botch it, I think just kind of leave it. I don't send an apology email <laughs> just for personal experience. It's uh, it kind of ends up making you feel worse. Just, just take the L and move on with your day. All right, for my last story for this particular story time edition of Jake Thoughts with Jake is the story of how I thought I was being ignored for years by my favorite history professor, Dr. Peabody, when it turns out she just had cataracts um, and couldn't see me waving to her. But I went through at least a couple years of school at WSU Vancouver, and anytime I would see... Dr. Peabody around campus, I would wave and she would never wave back to me. And like, I didn't, in my mind, I wasn't really ever like that upset by it because like, I didn't, I'm like, oh, it's just, you know, she's a professor and I'm a student and she's trying to like, she's trying to keep a professional relationship like in public, like, and like, because she's always friendly to me in class or anytime I would talk to her after class, she was always very friendly with me. She would always talk to me and we would have, like, if I needed to talk about a paper or I needed to talk about something, she was always very, very nice. And like I said, she was so, when I was having, when I was failing one of her classes, like, a, a, at one point, she, when I had, it was the first class I'd ever taken with her and I had came out to her out of nowhere after never really talking in class, but I always like went to class, even though I was failing, like I never skipped school. I never skipped class except for one time I got really upset about, um, something a student said and it set me off so much and Matt and Jeff love to talk about this that I got so upset because we all were taking like we all had like four straight classes we were taking with each other and actually this particular class was just Matt and I Matt Reeves and I and I somebody in that class said something so outlandishly stupid it made me so upset that I just I'm like I have to leave for the day I'm in too bad of a mood as dramatic as I needed to be, I left. And that was the only, that was actually, and I made it to that class. I just skipped my last two classes of that day, which was Chinese Civ and Pacific Northwest with Dr. Peabody. Anyway, um, so I, I don't think I, I may have missed one class that entire semester I was failing, but she was, anyway, when I reached out to her and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. Is there any way I can salvage my grade? She gave me all the opportunity in the world to try it. And I just, honestly, I ran out of time with the other classes I was trying to salvage, salvage, but she was so nice. Like, so which is why like, I'm like, okay, well, as much as it, like, it kind of sucks on keep waving to somebody and I don't get waved to back. I'm like, well, she's just trying to keep a, um, a professional relationship. Um, and then towards the, like after like I graduated, I, uh, when I was like getting close to graduation and I was never really involved, like, um, Jeff and, and Megan, who has been on the podcast a couple times before, um, they were very, they were 
officers in the history club. And so they worked a lot more with faculty than I did. I mean, I went to the history club meetings to support Jeff, but um, I never really was that involved with it outside of going to the meetings. The but they they had much more conversation with the faculty and they were work there was a couple things uh, like grant stuff that they were working on different things that I think Dr Sinclair and people I I get like Voices of Vancouver or something like that anyway um, the uh, some sort of some sort of Vancouver history grant thing anyway um, Jeff ends up saying like because I had said to him I'm like man like I don't think Dr Peabody really likes me like I'm always waving to her and she never waves back. Well, apparently, Jeff was having a con- like uh, they were in some meeting with Dr. Peabody, her like him and Megan and a couple other students, and were like, and Dr. Peabody was talking about her cataracts and how she can't see anything, and Jeff starts laughing because he's like, he was like, Jake waves to you all of the time, and he thinks you hate him because he can't because he, you don't wave back to him, and she's like, oh my gosh, no. I just can't see anything. So I went years thinking that I was just getting ignored to wait, like when I would wave and then I would get kind of sad and be like, okay, I'll just put my hands in my pockets and I'm like, okay, well, I guess it's just what it is. Like, she's not going to wave back to me. And then it was really just because she couldn't, she couldn't see me. Um, but Matt uh, Reeves finds this really funny because it's like, if you know, if you just know me and you've spent any time around me, especially like when I was in, when we were all in school together, I was, just, I'm just a very like timid person. So it takes a lot for me to like wave to somebody. And so to be kind of ignored and just kind of sit there, I, it just, my mannerisms, if you know my mannerisms and just kind of how I am socially, you can picture dog, like a professor, like walking me waving, not getting a response back, and then just kind of slinking down. But that happened routinely for years on campus. And then to find out she just had cataracts. Um, anyway, so yeah, that was, uh, that was that's my last story for the day. Um, I hope, hope you guys at least had a few laughs at a couple of those stories. They're kind of all over the map. Um, but yeah, that uh, I end up in a lot of just just funny situations just random situations um there's a couple stories i gotta check with kylie if i can tell one maybe i'll tell it the next time there's a jake thoughts uh, episode um but yeah because that that eh, that one's a little personal so i don't know if i'll tell it but eh, now i can't do it now i gotta check with kylie and uh sorry for the cop out guys but uh hey teaser for next jake thoughts so tune in when uh the next time i have next time jeff um goes off on some other extravagant vacation and leaves me all alone here to uh, to record by myself once again i'm just joking i'm so excited for them to be in in uh, uh disneyland but really though you shouldn't leave me unattended because otherwise the i go off the rails and i talk about random shit for for an hour and at this point 18 minutes holy crap um anyway uh I mean, I don't know how much longer you guys want to listen to me talk for, how much I want to be talking, but, um, I mean, there's just some stuff, like, uh, just going on, like, uh, I finally got my, uh, my weed whacker working, I went and bought the one at Walmart after returning the one from Harbor Freight, because I bought the one from Harbor Freight that didn't have a, um, that didn't come with a charger or a battery, so I went to Walmart and I bought one that has a 
uh, a charger and a battery with it. And like this little, like a, it was like a two piece came with like a little air, like a, um, like a blower and a weed whacker. It works. Okay. I mean, it's kind of cheap. I don't know how long it'll hold up, but I had a lot of long grass and edging that I needed to do. So I started doing that growing up doing yard work. I'll tell you what, like living in an apartment, you get really used to never having to do yard work. Um, and now I live on, uh, quite a, like I live on a pretty decent size of land. So like I am constantly doing yard work. Like it, especially now with the rain and the sun and springtime is the grass is just growing like crazy. Um, yeah, I'm constantly having to, to mow and keeping, um, keeping up with the edging. Although like I'm very conscious because I know there's a lot of birds and stuff that are nesting right now and especially and also rabbits. So I've been, I'm really careful about where I take the big lawn mower. Uh, I found it was really kind of cool. There's a bird that's nesting on the side of our house and because the, the grass has kind of grown up pretty tall and she's got it like burrowed down inside. And every time I walk near it, like the, the mom, she like, flutters out and acts wounded and then tries to get me to away from the nest well i mean i know what they're doing because like it's not a kill it's it's kind of like a kill deer but it's not a kill deer um that's a type of bird and it's like this black bird that looks similar to a kill deer but it's not and i'm like oh she must have a nest and then so like i just kind of peeked underneath this big tuft of grass and there's a really cool just little nest with some uh, blue eggs in there and so like i put back i so i'm making sure like i keep the dogs away from it um so anyway um look at me being uh, such a nature lover um i on the politics front i got really uh, depressed the last couple nights because i started really reading into um well one of the primaries that were happening around um like around the nation, Washington doesn't have its primary until August for its uh, for its elections in the third congressional district where I live and where Jeff, like most of all of my friends and family, live at the third congressional district in Washington, which goes from Milwaukee to White Salmon. It's just, I mean it's a huge swath of land, and we've been representative by um, rep, we've been representative represented by Congresswoman Jamie Herrera Butler since 2010. I think she's done a fantastic job personally. Um, I voted for her. I vote. I have voted for her every time, and I will continue to vote for her, um, especially because it doesn't really seem like it doesn't really seem like the Democrats have much of a chance to unseat her um, or any Republican for that matter to beat in a general. But the way that Washington's primaries work, it's, it's a nonpartisan primary, so it takes the top two regard. It takes the top two candidates out of the primary, regardless of party. So. Uh, it's very real. There's a very real, realistic chance that we end up with two having to vote between two Republicans. And as much as I have been frustrated at different things that Jamie has done since the impeachment vote, which I thought was the right thing to do, and she voted to impeach uh, the former president, uh, in the word in the criticism that she had, I also have not liked how she has, um, how she has kind of steered into. Um, some of the the more toxic rhetoric in the Republican Party. I mean, obviously, she's not denying, um, she's not pushing the big lie about voter fraud. She's not out there being overly like overly toxic, but she's definitely steered into more anti-immigrant rhetoric. She's definitely um, was definitely has used like the radical terms like the radical left and stuff that's more incendiary. And I'm like, eh, you know, like. 
not a huge fan of that. But when you consider like the way that when you look at the political realities, how the institutional arrangements work, the primary system and how we we choose the runoff in November, the di- the difference between Jamie Herrera Butler and her Republican Trump backed like Trump endorsed challenger Joe Kent, it is it it, 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 it cannot be more of a stark contract contrast this guy has this guy joe kent is an absolute nightmare he is a train wreck he's like his whole platform he doesn't have policies he's not promoting how am i going to better the local economy if anything he has openly said that he doesn't give a shit about the local economy he would he's even he has publicly said he does not support federal earmarks and spending bills he would not pursue that and where he's like in contrast jamie Herrera Butler has secured, um, like just absolutely needed, like essential funding for port, uh, for the port cities of Owaco, Woodland, Kalama, uh, Kalama, Kalamath, uh, Kathlamet, Kalama, Woodland, like all of the port, all of the ports along the Columbia that just vastly need federal funding to keep going because they're a local, they're local, they're like local economies are dependent upon trade and those ports running and without securing that federal funding to keep those going they those ports would have some of those ports would have closed especially the port of Owaco and she has kept those she has such a good thumb on the local economy she has secured all sorts she's secured um sea line removal funding fund uh, federal funding for salmon restoration um funding um funding more research and funding um for salmon restoration and for and for funding um uh funding again the hatcheries on the trip on the columbia river tributaries to promote salmon growth because so much of our economy is low is is built on both sports fish sport fishing and tourism that the sport uh, and all the stuff around sports fishing such as like the tourism during the like the buoy 10 seasons and fishing seasons and uh guiding but then also commercial fishing and without salmon our local our economy from white salmon to waco will completely well not completely but for the most part outside of vancouver so much of outside of like the vancouver proper area the local economy is so different you have such vastly different economies and jamie to her credit has such a good i believe has such a good thumb on how to on what kind of buttons to push what kind of levers to pull to Make sure that the the very vastly different economies throughout her congressional district are taken care of. Like she, um, in in especially securing funding for low income, um, for low income families. She, in the time that Joe Kent was giving his speech in Longview about not about not take, because it's unconstitutional to give federal funding to to state projects. He she's um. She was touring a low-income medical facility and clinic in Battleground um, that she secured a $320,000 grant for to make sure the doors stay open. Like, much-needed medical uh, at, uh, facilities for low-income families. Like, she's out there doing, like... Th- She's out there doing her job, and she's in a position now because she's been in the Congress. She's been in the Cong- U.S. Congress for a lot, enough time. She's going to be in a leader, leadership position uh, in the 118th Congress if she's real if she is reelected. And like, why would we give up somebody who like fights for our local economy, has the the weight and the pull to get shit passed, all because of some guy who the, his only claim to fame is that he is somehow ideologically pure that he'll go out and he'll say and he'll kowtow to Trump. Someone like 
Kowdow to somebody who in Trump who has never been to Vancouver, will never be from Vancouver, doesn't give a shit about Vancouver. Regardless if you if you don't like Jamie for having impeached president for having voted to impeach president trump she still voted for him in 2020 she has been consistently a conservative like she has voted she voted with trump close to 90 percent of the time while he was in office like voted along with his policies like she she is everything that you claim to want to have like want to have in congress someone who fights for you someone who isn't necessarily overly establishment somebody who and has been con- who's consistently been conservative. I don't understand. Like, if you don't vote, if if you choose Joe Kent over Jamie Herrera Butler, you're basically saying you don't. In my opinion, you're basically saying you don't care about conser- You really don't care about conservatism. You care about Trump, and that I just cannot. I cannot wrap my head around how much support this Joe Kent guy has. Like he he has met in Mar-a-Lago with uh, with President Trump. His whole campaign stump speeches are: we're going to impeach Joe Biden. We're going to impeach Kamala Harris. We're going to install Donald Trump as Speaker of the House, and then openly admits, like, yeah, we're probably not going to we're probably not going to get that. But it's about spreading that narrative and and um and putting the fear of God in the Democrats. Like that is his whole thing. He doesn't have policies. Like it's it's literally just it's grievances. It's going there to be antagonistic. It's going to and and that doesn't like what would you rather have somebody who just gets you sound bites or somebody who actually gets shit done? And that's what Jamie has even like. <laughs> that's an exact quote from Jamie Herrera Butler. She's like when asked about like the race against Joe Kent, she was like, I think Washingtonians want somebody who gets shit done, and she gets shit done. And you can disagree with her philosophically, but I. Th- I, I I just philosophically or politically you can disagree with her. That's that's fine. But if the choice is between Joe Kent and Jamie Herrera Butler and you call yourself a Republican and you choose to not vote for Jamie Herrera Butler, I'm sorry, like I, I don't think I could ever I, I don't I, I don't understand that mindset. Like I truly do not because there isn't I I just can't wrap my head around that. The fact that this guy um, this guy has a legitimate, legitimate shot at, at unseating her. And, uh, it's, it's honestly, it's depressing because I, he's not even from here, dude, dude lived in Portland until 2020. Like I, how you tell me how this, you, you tell me how this guy is going to, and I see his signs. I drive by one of his big ass signs. that just says America, like America first for Washington. I drive by it every single day going to work as I'm leaving the fairgrounds area. And I'm just like, how, how does, how does this guy like actually have a legitimate shot at unseating here. So I, I, uh, as much as I've had my problems with, with Jamie of late, um, I, I, I think in my opinion, the, the choice is, the choice is clear for, for the midterms coming up. And I hope to God that she wins. Uh, she has the financial backing, but as we have seen with, um, with different races, um, Trump is still kingmaker. And in some areas, in some races, his, his, um, his candidates have lost, but in others they have won. So it'll be very, it'll be interesting to see how um, if if his endorsement can trump the establishment, can trump the establishment money that's coming in in support of Jamie. Like Jamie has a, has secured funding from a super PAC that is headed by uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. So clearly, behind the scenes, there is a lot of. Uh, establishment movement trying to distance itself from Trump, even if it's not out there in the public. So it's this; these midterms are going to be stressful. They're going to be 
and they're going to be very telling about how politics is going to go f- moving forward uh, in the rest of the Biden in the se- in the back half of the Biden administration, and then going into the presidential election of 2024. So um, that's that's kind of my thoughts on that. If you care any about local politics, um, anyway, um, yeah, it, another couple weeks. Um, we're like we're having um, on my own personal life front. We're at an hour and a half now. Um, I have our our we have our baby Kylie and I have our baby shower for Wells uh, this Saturday uh, this Sunday, and so that's going to be fun and exciting. And that's with my family. So we're we're because we have our Kylie's family is from Medford. My family is here in Washington, here in Vancouver, Washington. Um, we're having a couple different baby showers. So my parents are throwing us one for like our family, our extended family and my mom's like old childhood friends who we've all grown up. Like I grew up with, um, their kids and everything. So we're having, we're having that one this weekend, two weekends from now, we're having one we're throwing at our house for our, for our close and immediate friends. And then Kylie's uh, mom is throwing us one down in her neck of the woods. Actually, we're meeting halfway down in Eugene. So that'll be fun. It'll be really neat. It'll be awesome to see everybody um, and, and celebrate uh, the coming of the coming of Wells Hudson Jokum. And I mean, I, I, I know Kylie is ready for him to be here. Uh, she looks so uncomfortable and he is incredibly active at all times a day. A lot of kicks. I actually got the feeling the other day, which was really neat. Um, I made a, I've been crafting and uh, like when I went to Fred Meyer and I, I scored some sweet uh, candles, I got um, bonfire, a candle called bonfire season. So it, it's very smoky, kind of like a wood smoke smell. <clears throat> and I'm pairing it right now with vanilla oak and those two pair really well together so when i'm burning them together i get i get that really kind of wood smoky smell but then a hint of vanilla which it's uh it's pretty nice it's pretty nice it creates a really good ambiance and aroma uh words in my um in my in my house anyway so that's really cool got some um planner uh some planter boxes now on the front porch my dad made for us um and so it's i've been watering those plants we put i've been making if those of you follow me on instagram you, you've seen my um my flower bouquets that i've been making with the flowers i've been finding around the property we've had some daffodils uh growing and then some local like bluebell flower i think they're some trillium flowers have been growing which has been really neat and pretty um i found um, some other stuff that's like grown on rhodod- like some rhododendron flowers. I think they're rhododendrons. Anyway, I can't tell. It's a big bush with some like whitish pink flowers. Anyway, really cool. So I've been making some, and then some like lo- the longer like hay grass. I've been cutting and then mixing in and creating uh, my own my own uh, my own flower arrangements. And then I made um, something specifically for Wells um, Craft Warehouse had like this wood this wood well. And so my sister and I, and I, I made this, I made this scene where I, um, I made like a, a stream bed out of rocks and then like moss for like, like the, the grass. And then I put, um, then we, then I put the well and we painted the well. So four wells, it's going to go in his room. And because it's like the, it's a double meaning because both like a well, right? The physical well, but then also, uh, well, 
the name wells in old English means like spring, so like a spring from the ground or the well. So I have um, the double meaning of wells there, the physical well, but then also like um, the namesake of his name. So um, I thought that was kind of me just being maybe a little artsy, um, which has been fun because I haven't been able to get out as much with my camera. So kind of channeling my my inner artist towards uh, towards something else has been kind of a really therapeutic. So. Anyway, I think I'll end on that. Um, anyway, I love all you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Everybody who's, who listens and supports the show, um, please like and share it. Like, um, we could always love to grow this, spread our message, spread spread our um, the fun that we have to other people. So, if you like what we're doing, please can you know please uh, take a take a moment, share the share the channel, um, share our Instagram, um, talk to people about us. Um, we'd love to, we'd love to expand this and, and keep working on it going on the floor, but we're always going to be here regardless of listeners, because if anything, this is fun. This is something for Jeff and I to do. So anyway, Jeff will be back next week. I uh, thank you guys so much for listening to Jake thoughts with Jake and yeah. Anyway, talk to you guys later.